Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 1 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Now, David took these words to heart. So he's realizing, wow, they know who I am. They know what's gone on. And now he is struck with fear. He was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Now what do I do? Now, now what do I do? This is, this is wild stuff, isn't it? Verse 13, what, what does he do? So he changed his behavior before them. He pretended madness in their, in their, hand, in their hands, scratched at the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He says, Look, I'm dealing with you guys. I don't need any more crazies around me. You know, this is kind of, in just a simple, he's just, I don't need this. You know, I wrote in my little side notes to myself, I wrote, man, it is always a mess when you go to the world. It's always a mess. It, it leads to elements of, of just insa- insanity in, in your behavior. It makes no sense what you're doing. You fall back into the world, you're going to start doing stupid stuff like that. You can't be who you are. Now, they said of him... Is this not David, the king of the land? Interesting. Now, he's not really king of the land, is he? Really. From a technical standpoint, you know, Saul is still ruling. But they, they certainly saw him as a warrior, as a leader. He was marked out, no doubt about it. Recognizable. Interesting, at this point right here, and when we read this, we think, oh man, this guy is just... What a mess he is. And it's true. But it's important for you to go and read Psalm 34 in conjunction with verses 13 and 14. I encourage you to make a notation of that and I encourage you to read that the next day or two. Just read Psalm 34. Psalm 34 was written as he turned away to go away from Achish. As he kind of went off into a, a quiet spot and got away into a more safe spot. This is before he got to the cave, but, but on it, en route toward the cave, he wrote Psalm 34. It's very interesting. You know, and there's a lot of things there in, in there about trusting in God instead of in yourself. I mean, there's just a ton of, it's packed with a lot of good. And when you read it in conjunction with a guy that's kind of slipping back a little bit, and I want to make this mention to you. I want to make this mention because I think it's important. Because when we read through the scriptures, we find David noted as a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. Now, is he a man that is replicating God's heart in certain ways? Yes, but you know what I like about it? If you just look at it, that he's, maybe he's really after something. And you start thinking it in that light. Boy, it really helped me to look at it and think of it in that way. No, he's a guy that's in pursuit of the heart of God. You start looking at it in that light, oh, that starts making a lot more sense. Because he was pretty messed up in a lot of ways, you know? 
We're, we're reading it. Don't you love this about the scripture? It portrays for you and me real people with real problems, dealing with it, working through it, making mistakes, but pursuing God. The key is, remember how we've talked? It doesn't matter to me where you are on the trail, just stay on the trail. The journey that you're on with Jesus, it doesn't matter where you are on the trail because one day all of a sudden, we're just gonna be fast forward and we're all gonna be in the presence of the Lord. And so it's really not gonna matter what was going on back here. You're gonna be right there. That's what it sounds like when you move really fast in the kingdom. That's how that goes. It's like a, just a real quick flow. So this idea here of Psalm 34 and the, the madness that's associated with it. But isn't that true when we don't use the weapons of our warfare that are spiritual? It becomes madness. We get trapped in our emotions and, and, and making decisions based on that. It's not really clearly God-led. It's just led by our own plotting. And then it can lead to some lying. And it can be grabbing weaponry that's really not for us to use. And it marks us out when we slip back into the world or worldly even thinking it really is madness for a believer it's not really our pursuit it's not really what we ought to pursue then as we go on it says David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam interesting things happen as he's kind of holed up there and so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it they went down there to him his family ends up coming down to the cave to, to, to meet up with him. You know, why? Well, they just wanted to bring some cheese and crackers or something. I mean, that's not why. I mean, they wanted, not sure they wanted to see David, but you got to understand. Hey, they, they saw what happened. They, saw, they watched him be anointed king. One. That, that's one thing. The next thing you got to remember is that as family members, they're suspect, man. They're likely going to, they, they just need, they know, it, it, life could have been getting very difficult for them, and it was time to go. We better just go to our own, hang out with David. Either way, I guess if we get wiped out, we'll all get wiped out together, because Saul's going to be after all of us now. Word gets out, there's a problem, so they are all on the run. Side note, I wrote to myself, good things happen in hard places. You know, caves and, and uh, lion's dens, huh? You know, Joseph being thrown into a pit and then incarcerated and, you know, so on. We find over and over again, don't we, descriptions of, of difficulty that God has allowed, difficulty for God's purposes, difficulty that even though he has somewhat subjected himself to this, man, God's going to use that in those places of difficulty. And the re reason I say that is from the cave of Adullam, in that cave, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 were written. Again, I encourage you to make a notation, go back and read those sometime this week. I would read them in conjunction with the studies so that you can grasp you know, David's heart. Again, he just pours out his heart as the, the enemy pursues him. And he just, he, it's wonderful when you see it in the context of this. Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 are the description of what happens in his heart. He's in a difficult place, but what is he doing? He's crying out to God. He's looking for deliverance. When you and I find ourselves in difficulty, that's not a bad thing. I, my, the best thing we can realize is there's a, a school of preparation that we're all in all the time. God's preparing us for something that's coming later. 
And so the difficulty isn't always such a bad thing, even though we try and insulate ourselves from the very thing that might bring us the ability, as we've talked about, in trials and tribulation that can build into endurance for your Christian experience. And so it can develop you because you know this isn't a a fast race we're in, right? It's not a sprint. This is a a long-distance runner race. You know, you got to stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. The cave. As he's hanging out in the cave. Well, who's hanging out in the cave with him? I love this part. I just get such a kick out of this. And everyone who was in distress. That's some of the people that are in the cave. Everyone who's in distress. Everyone who was in debt, which now with what's happening in the market, that could be everybody. And everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Isn't that a crazy group of guys? And so he became captain over them. I'm sure he was thrilled to no end. Can you imagine? I wonder about some of the conversations that didn't get written down that we don't have that he might have had with the Lord. Wow. But then I think back, who did the Lord choose? Not only just us, I get it. But what about, what about who Jesus picked out of all the people in the, in the world at the time? And he's wandering around. He goes, you guys want to come follow me? So they leave their fishing boats, family biz, off to follow Jesus. It is interesting to me that we really emphasize the fact that they left all to follow him. But what I think is really fascinating is that he chose them. The mentor was the instigator also. He was the one that pursued initially. He invited them. And that was, in Judaism, that was their their structure. The, the, the teacher would pursue the disciples, would tell the disciples to come. They would get the invitation. Saul of Tarsus got the invitation from Gamaliel to sit at Gamaliel's feet. Saul, Saul got the inv- invitation to do that. Now, Saul might have been known for his intellectual prowess or whatever. He might have been known in that way, but he was pursued. And, and I think that's interesting. Have you noticed the flip of that in our world today? that you as a person are to pursue a mentor. And then you set up the criteria by which you want to be mentored because you need this from them and you need this from them, you need this from them. But it was very much different than that in a biblical perspective. It's a very interesting thing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't look to to people to to disciple us or to mentor us. I'm not saying we shouldn't look to that. But when you look at it scripturally, it's very different than what the world says. And so we want to be a part of discipling and mentoring people from a biblical perspective, not necessarily from what the world is pushing into us and using that term. I know many of us, I include myself, use that term somewhat interchangeably, mentoring or discipling. But in, in the world vernacular, we've got to be careful. I'm telling you, we've got to be careful. Because how that plays out in the, in the understanding of meaning and implication and what really is being derived from that, we should be wise and we should be cautious, stay biblical in our approach. It's helpful. It's better. I think it's important for us to be looking to develop and disciple others around us. Absolutely. It's a godly pattern. Here, as we see, these guys start gathering to David, hang around, and he ends up being captain over them. One thing that's kind of cool is 
out of these, there were about 400 men with him. Out of these guys, everyone who was distressed. I just love this. They're distressed, they're in debt, and they're all discontented. I just, what a funny bunch to have as a group that you're going to use to, but, but would you choose the disciples? These fishermen, they're just regular guys. Would you choose them? Would you choose some of these other people that you see? Are these the people you would choose? You know, Matthew that's hated by everyone. Would you choose him? Hey, why don't you come hang out with us? You know, I mean, it's like, it's not, these aren't the natural choices. But isn't that great to see that? I look at these guys and I think, oh man, what a great thing. But you know what is even greater? is because he is a man after God's own heart, because he's gone after God, he's in pursuit of God. Ultimately, these guys, I mean, think about who David was, the psalmist, deep spiritual guy, a, certainly a mighty man of war. He's a neat, neat guy. By all means, a man's man, but was also able to cry with his friend. You know what I mean? and express his affections effectively, you know, and still such a man's man. And you know what? I think these guys ultimately, just like you and I, become like our leader, Jesus Christ. Just like that, you know, we become like him, they're gonna become like David, you know? They're, they're drawn to him, and, and even though, okay, they're a little bit messed up, they're kind of sideways, that's okay. Not a great thing. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. He says, man, we're, we're, we're on a pretty big, this is a pretty big situation here. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I want to get my family to safety. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt uh, with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And he said, well, why in the world is he taking his family to Moab. David is the son of Jesse, right? Right, that's right. Jesse's grandmother, at least grandmother, maybe further back, but I think for sure at least grandmother, was Ruth, the Moabitess. <laughs> so they're, they're, it's family. <laughs> you know, he's taking his family to other family and finding safety. He's a smart guy. He's thinking, hey, they're a little bit distant from us, but man, we got to get them in there, get them to safety. This is a good spot for them to be. So he takes them there. And they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Basically, this hideout, um, a walled-in, secure area. And he says, leave that place. And now, what is Judah known as? Judah is the place of praise, the city of praise or the place of praise. Go back to that. Get back to that place. Don't just stay in this, this safety spot here. You've got to get back out into this place of praise. Oh, it's a great thought. And when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree in, in Ramah. What would he normally have in his hand? Nothing less than his spear. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse, this is David, give everyone, now what tribe is, is 
is David from? Obviously, Jesse. What, what tribe is he from? Judah, right? So he's from the tribe of Judah. And now Saul's really barking at these Benjamites. He's really, why is he making this emphasis of this to them? Why is he, you Benjamites, listen. You know, and he starts saying about, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? He says, you know, what do you think that guy's going to do for you? Okay, now, this is the deal. What tribe is Saul from? He's a Benjamite. So he's talking to his own guys. He's trying to get them all riled up and said, look it, I've done you guys right. We're family. I've done you right. You've got good jobs. You've got good vineyards. I've, I've, you know, you've got tax breaks, all kinds of things that are good. I've taken care of you, right? This is what he's saying. He's, he's saying, I mean, I, I, you think David's going to do that for you? You're related to me. You think David's going to do that for you? You see how he's stirring this up? It's very enemy-related, isn't it? It's just the way the enemy works, you know, in this connivy, uh, side-swipey way, you know, just kind of getting, getting his digs in here. Look at what he says in verse 8. All of you have conspired against me. The deep, fearful paranoia is starting to come out. All of you have conspired against me. And there's no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. You guys knew about it. You guys knew that those guys were becoming good buddies. You guys knew about it, and you guys didn't say anything to me. This is what he's saying. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me. God, you guys don't even feel bad about my situation. Or reveals to me my, that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is to this day. He's just looking. He's hiding out in the forest out there. He's waiting to kill me. You know, he's just, he's just the guy's really spun a bearing. There's no doubt about it. He is freaked out about the whole situation. He's trying to get everybody else around him freaked out about everything. Oh, but there's one of our buddies that's showing back up again. Doeg shows back up on the scene. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. You remember, he's the chief of the herdsmen. I, he says to Saul, he says, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. He says, I saw that go down. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. He gave him weaponry. So he's aiding and abetting, basically, right? You know, he gave him weaponry. He gave him shelter and sustenance. He made inquiry of the Lord on his behalf. Now, this is where it starts getting sticky. Did that really happen exactly like that? Yes and no. True? It did kind of go that way. This is where we find that idea of do not bear false witness. This is that kind of a situation. This is somewhat factual, but its, it's, it's implication and connotation is different. So you can say the, give kind of accurate information with wrong connotation. That's bearing false witness. You see the, the, the difference? Sometimes we just think, well, it wasn't a, that wasn't a lie because that wouldn't be a lie. But it's bearing false witness, isn't it? Because it's not really the facts of what the intent was or what was totally going on in this situation. So the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his, I had a funny thing ran through my mind, but I let it go. And all his father's house, the priest, Ahitub's just kind of a funny name. And all his father's uh, house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. So he summoned 
these priests, right, you guys come on down. We're going to have to have a powwow about this situation. We have to talk through this through. We're going to have to meet on this. We're going to have to really go over this and get this thing worked out real quick. He wants to wrap it up, deal with it. Then Saul said, here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, here I am, my Lord. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, David, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Now, he's saying, Saul's saying, hey, you made inquiry of the Lord to find out whether God was going to give David favor against me. Because you remember how they would make inquiry with the Lord. Will God, God, will you give us favor when we go up against these people or when we have battle with those people, right? This is what, how it plays out oftentimes. And, and he's saying, this is what you've done. So Ahimelech answered the king in verse 14 and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in, in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of his house of, of my father. For your servant knew nothing of, of all this, little or much. He said, that's not what, oh, oh, back to verse 2 of chapter 21, the lie. All of this that's going to go down with these priests and the priests' households and all this stuff has to do with that lie. Because he said he was on a secret mission. He said he was doing something for the king. He said all that. The priest helped him, the priest gave him weaponry, and the priest, all based on false pretense. Agreed? Agreed? I mean, I think that's, that seems clear to us. I mean, we can read it, and it just it seems very evident that that's what's happened. Didn't know much, didn't know little, was, was unaware of this, this whole situation. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Wow. So, all the father's house. Do you remember a while back who that might have been and the things that were prophesied against him because he wouldn't take the lead and lead properly in his own home he wouldn't give he wouldn't lead he wouldn't deal with the matters that were going on he wouldn't take care of it he wouldn't man up and do what was spiritually right Eli and he said man your whole family it's all going to be wiped out one day Boom. God said it, and here it's starting to go down. Isn't that wild? That's what he said, and that's what's happening. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. I know a lot of times as we listen to the Word, sometimes we really get convicted by God's Word. And you know, there's those times where we really need to repent and give our lives over to the Lord. The Bible, it says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, death is something, this, this destructive force, and it's this thing that, you know, our, our bodies are in this slow decay process. And, and, you know, ultimately, we all are going to have a physical death. But spiritually, you don't have to die. We would die in our sin if not for the gift of God. And that's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so we want to receive that gift. We don't want to be paid the wages of our sin. We want to have everlasting life. And so you can pray this simple prayer of faith. If you've been you know, listening and just hearing and just knowing that, man, God's tugging on your heart and you just know that there's something more to this life. Well, God wants to make himself real to you, just like he's done in my life as I was once troubled and struggling and distant from God, partying, trying to drown all my, all my sorrows as it were. But, but the, you know, the Lord is there and he loves you and wants to meet you right where you're at. Just pray this simple prayer along with me. It doesn't matter whether you're driving or out on a walk, just with your earbuds in, just in, in a place where you can listen on your computer, wherever you might be. If you're listening to this right now, you can pray this simple prayer and have everlasting life. Jesus, I want to ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin. I want to ask that you would come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. I don't want the wages of sin, which is death, but I want the gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus, my Lord now. I'm thankful, Lord, for your forgiveness, and I just ask that, Lord, as I start this new life, you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that my life might please you and bring you glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, the service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains. Jesus, come.